0: They didn't pay their fine. Putting forward legislation that holds offenders accountable. Violate the Constitution. Limits liberty and security. Today, the Supreme, Court of, the Supreme, the Supreme Court, of Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada decision granting Canadians the rights that she was denied. This is Justice Radio, Acumen Law Corporation's podcast. The author Stephen J. Daniels once wrote, A good friend will help you move, but a true friend will help you move a body. That's a significant test of friendship, but not one you're likely to face. One significant test that we hear about from time to time involves risking a criminal charge to help a friend. And so we ask, would you willingly risk a criminal record to help out a buddy? One man who might pass that test with some qualifications is Roger Plough. A few years ago, Roger and his friend Eldon Deegan were spending the night at Mr. Deegan's apartment. Their wives were at the local bingo hall in Amherst, Nova Scotia, so the boys were at home drinking beer. Because they weren't allowed to smoke inside the apartment, the two friends took a break from drinking to go outside and have a smoke. As they left the second floor apartment, they went down a flight of stairs. Mr. Deegan stumbled on the steps and hit his head on an iron handrail. The pair found themselves outside. Mr. Deegan was concussed and bleeding from a gash on his scalp. He was also incoherent and having breathing difficulties. Mr. Plo tried to get back inside the apartment to call an ambulance. The only problem was, Mr. Deegan's key to the building was with his wife at Bingo. Neither Mr. Plo nor Mr. Deegan had a cell phone. There might have been smarter options, but in a drunken panic, Mr. Plo drove his friend to the local hospital. Now at the hospital, things got interesting. The attending nurse realized that Mr. Plo had driven to the hospital intoxicated, and she called the police. Mr. Plough was later found to have a blood alcohol reading of 110 milligrams of alcohol in 100 milliliters of blood, above the legal limit of 80. He was charged with driving while well impaired and driving over 80. At trial, Mr. Plow admitted the Crown's case, but he argued that he drove drunk out of necessity. If he hadn't driven his friend while drunk, who knows what might have happened. Necessity is a legal defense available in certain circumstances, but there is no guarantee it will work. There are three requirements that must be met for it to apply. First, there must be imminent peril or danger. Second, the accused must have had no reasonable legal alternative to the course of action he or she is undertaking. And third, the harm inflicted as a result of breaking the law must be proportional to the harm avoided. Mr. Plow thought his friend, who was bleeding and incoherent, was going to die. A judge hearing the case at Nova Scotia Provincial Court decided this met the first requirement of the imminent peril or danger. As they were trapped outside with no key, no cell phone, their wives at bingo, and no buzzer to reach another resident, the judge concluded that this met the second legal requirement of no reasonable alternative. Given the time pressures of the situation and his lack of medical background, Mr. Plow felt he had no choice other than to transport his friend to the hospital. The third requirement, that the harm inflicted must be proportional to the harm avoided, was also met. The judge found that the harm, as a result of delaying medical attention, would have outweighed the harm of someone driving while impaired. Mr. Plough was therefore acquitted of the drinking driving charges. Although successful in this instance, cases where necessity defense is successful are rare in Canadian law especially when it comes to driving. David and Amy Webber were expecting a baby. Complications to Amy's pregnancy meant that she was scheduled to deliver the baby by way of cesarean section on March 25, 2011 in Brandon, Manitoba. Four days before the due date, the couple were driving in Winnipeg. They were on the Trans-Canada Highway heading home when Miss Webber started having contractions and bleeding. Neither of them had a cell phone, so they couldn't call for assistance. Mr. Webber decided he should hurry to Brandon, knowing from prior conversations with their doctor that the nearby town of Portage-la-Prairie didn't have facilities to perform a C-section. So like an expectant father in a romantic comedy, rushing his partner to the hospital, he stepped on the gas. About 30 minutes later, he was pulled over by a police officer. Explaining their situation, the couple asked for assistance and an escort to the hospital, something of that sort. Seemingly unswayed by their plight, the police officer presented them with a speeding ticket and told them to go to the Portage Hospital and arrange for an ambulance to take Miss Webber to Brandon. Instead of doing so, Mr. Webber continued down the highway on his trajectory to Brandon. On the way, he was pulled over once more and presented with a second ticket after he was clocked doing 172 km an hour in a 100 kilometer an hour zone. That may be common for British Columbia, but in Manitoba, that's quite an exception. This time, the officer was more sympathetic and arranged for an ambulance to attend and take Miss Webber to the hospital in Brandon. She gave birth later that day. At court, Mr. Webber pled guilty to speeding but maintained his actions were motivated by a belief his wife and unborn child were at risk. He was fined $400 and his license suspended. There was some indication the court was lenient toward him because they reduced the fine from the original $964 to $400. This case highlights the difference between necessity and emergency when we're talking about justification for committing an offence. It's tough to prove necessity and next to impossible to use emergency as a defence. On appeal, the court upheld the sentence and said that at these speeds the accused was a clear danger to himself and others on the highway and even suggested that the driver, who didn't have a cell phone, could have driven to the closest hospital to flag down an ambulance. Thus, it would have failed the no reasonable legal alternative requirement. In 2015, Dr. Benham Beheshti was pulled over by Vancouver Police for speeding and given a ticket. He later appealed against his conviction for speeding. He had been on his way home when he received a call that he had to get right back to the hospital for a severely ill patient. At court, even though he was needed to potentially save the life of a seriously ill man, he was not excused from the speeding provisions laid out in BC's Motor Vehicle Act. The appeal judge noted several cases where people were held liable for speeding, including an ambulance driver and even a police officer pursuing a bank robber. Now There are exceptions for the police to break all kinds of laws such as speeding, not stopping at a stop sign or red light, going the wrong way down a road, so long as they abide by certain regulations. But to say they are above the law simply isn't true. Police officers can't ignore traffic laws if there is no emergency, even while they are on duty. An RCMP officer in BC found out the hard way when he was pulled over by another Mountie. The officer who pulled him over didn't know he was a cop at first. The officer who received the ticket was in an unmarked vehicle, but decided to ticket him for speeding in any event. How fast was the speeding cop going? 147 kilometers in a 110 km an hour zone. Not even enough to qualify for excessive speeding, but rules are rules. The officer who received the ticket challenged it, arguing that he was on duty and on his way to a work-related course in Vancouver. He said that he had the cruise control set at 130 kilometers an hour since he thought there was a 20 kilometer an hour grace or tolerance for the speed limit and was going downhill at the time. The court found the officer guilty as the risks couldn't justify exceeding the speed limit at the time. Speeding is what's referred to as an absolute liability offense. An absolute liability offense is an offense where there's no requirement to prove you intended to break the law or that you had failed to take reasonable care not to break the law. In other words, regardless of the reason you broke the law, you're still guilty. Even in absolute liability cases, it's possible for an accused to claim necessity, but that defense in such cases is rare. What about driving while prohibited or driving while suspended? Would a necessity defense stand up in court in one of those cases? In 2015, Melissa Hill was driving with her boyfriend, Roy Russell, in the passenger seat in St. John's, Newfoundland. Ms. Hill had a novice driver's license, and she was finding it difficult to cope with the snow-covered roads. Her car spun out of control and hit a snowbank. A shaken Miss Hill stopped at a nearby location to see if she could calm down, but feeling like she couldn't go any further, she asked Mr. Russell to drive. Mr. Russell was serving a driving prohibition at the time, but he later testified in court that he felt it was unsafe to leave the vehicle on the side of the road. When he was eventually pulled over by an officer because of slow speed, he was charged with driving while prohibited. The judge found Mr. Russell's attempt to use the necessity defense to be unconvincing. The court felt that it failed to meet two of the requirements for a necessity defense. Namely, there was no imminent danger from leaving the car on the side of the road, and certainly there was a reasonable alternative. Mr. Russell could have called for a tow truck. But what about other areas of law? Can necessity be used as a defense against other offenses? To answer that question, let's hear about the bizarre tale of mountain man Jim Nelson. On a cold December night in 2005, a woman returned to her townhouse in Whistler, BC. With Christmas only a few days away, she had been out on a shopping trip. When she got through the door, she must have sensed something was wrong. The window in one of the French doors leading from the patio into the family room was broken. Various food items had been taken from the shelves, cupboards, the refrigerator, and the freezer. Kitchen utensils and appliances had been used. Almost all of the family's Christmas presents had been opened. Worse still, white plastic bags containing vomit and human waste were lying on the kitchen floor. Next to the bags of human affluence was a man apparently unconscious. It must have felt like the Grinch had broken into her home and stolen Christmas, but at least the Grinch didn't leave bags of poop everywhere. The police were called and the attending constable found the man curled up in a fetal position wrapped in blankets. He was unresponsive apart from moaning a couple of times. The mysterious intruder was taken to a medical clinic and later released. He was charged with breaking and entering, and committing mischief. Although there was damage to the property and there was food missing, nothing was disturbed in the upstairs of the home or the garage, nothing was missing from the home. The mystery pooper turned out to be a fella named Jim Nelson. He was 49 at the time, and the court got to hear the fascinating and bizarre chain of events that led him to unwrapping the presents under the Christmas tree and leaving a few gifts of his own on the kitchen floor that night. According to Mr. Nelson, between 1990 and 2002, he worked in Whistler in various jobs, as a night auditor at several hotels, as a parking attendant at a local bakery, a coffee shop. From 1990 to 1997, he lived in his van. He then lived in an apartment for a spell but in 2002 he put his belongings into two storage lockers and moved into the forest about a two-hour walk from Whistler. He lived in a tent beside the railroad tracks. He said he did this to perfect himself and he would periodically fast as a spiritual way of getting rid of his demons. He lived like this in the forest for three years. Mr. Nelson testified that when he first moved to the forest He still had some money and would go to Whistler to buy food. When his money ran out, he started eating out of garbage cans throughout Whistler. He said he had fasted periodically throughout his life for short periods of time, and after moving into the forest, he started fasting for increasingly longer lengths of time, and on occasion, up to 40 days without food. He later described the effects of fasting, uh, how it would impact his body and mind. Your body just aches for food, he said. I would curl up into a ball and my whole body would just ache for food. He said he would sometimes chew on a stick. You experience a kind of insanity, he added, like a cloud was descending on him. Total confusion and a feeling nothing was right. The longest fast he'd ever attempted, 60 days, would end up with him breaking into this townhouse in Whistler. On the same day he broke into the house, he left his tent to walk to Whistler to get something to eat. He took his backpack and a knife. He said it took him eight hours because his muscles had atrophied. He was crawling at first and then taking baby steps. He later became hypothermic. When he arrived at the back porch of the townhouse, he picked up a rock and smashed the window. Mr. Nelson testified that he went inside to be warm and to eat. He said the inner animal was only interested in survival and I was just riding along. There wasn't a whole lot of conscious thought there. He pulled food out of the refrigerator and boiled water to drink hot fluids. He ate chili, cream cheese, tortilla bread and chocolate. He then opened all the Christmas presents looking for more chocolate. He found the remote control and turned on the television. He vomited a number of times and defecated into the white plastic bags. He covered up the hole from the missing window in the door using cushions and turned on the oven to keep warm. After wrapping himself in a blanket, he fell asleep and remained asleep until the police woke him. When he appeared in court, Mr. Nelson pled guilty to the charges of breaking and entering and mischief, but on hearing his story, the judge took sympathy on him. He was acquitted of any crimes because the court found a necessity defense applied in his circumstances. The story was so bizarre, it hit the news the court believed he wouldn't have made it up. Although there were alternative actions he could have taken, the court believed that his mind was so disorganized and dysfunctional that he would not have been able to realize this. The judge said that although what he did was disgusting and foul, that kind of action in and of itself was proof that his mind was extremely troubled and he was therefore found not guilty. Whether you believe there are certain circumstances where people should be allowed to bend or break the law, or whether you believe the opposite depends on your philosophical leanings. From the perspective of courts, in Canada at least, there are situations where breaking the law is justified so long as a defendant's actions meet the three requirements of a necessity defense. In driving law it's rare that you will be able to justify violating the law, but it's possible if you can prove that you've exhausted every other option. If you get caught breaking in somewhere and leaving bags of poop and vomit around the place, you better hope you've got a good excuse. All of these examples raise the question, however, wouldn't you think that a criminal record is a small price to pay if your reason for breaking the law is so important? My wife is in labour, I'll take a few speeding tickets or even a driving prohibition to ensure she gets to the hospital. I'm on the verge of starvation and I'm suffering from hypothermia, I'll take the punishment for breaking into this house for food and shelter, I mean I don't want to die." Roger Plo, the guy who drove drunk to save his friend, may have thought the same thing. Surely when he decided to drive he would have taken the conviction in order to save his drinking buddy's life. But that's not what he felt when it came time to go to court. Funny that.